love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. My name is Ron Camacho and I'm going to be your host today. And I'm really delighted to have as our business of the day the business of comedy, the often funny business of comedy, but also there's a serious aspect to uh, comedy and to offer some insight into bringing comedy to the stage as a producer and also cultivating comedy as a comic. Um, to share that with us uh, is Robert Joseph of RLJ Productions, who is that producer uh, and that comedian. And so I want to um, thanks, thank you for uh, coming to the program today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, let's start off by by going back to when you might have become interested. Well, I want to go way back first. I was going to ask you about when when you thought about comedy as a as a business venture, but I want to go back further first to even if you might have been a funny kid, even if you might have noticed, take took note of uh, funny people around you, what was the first thing that made you conscious of, oh, that's comedy, that's someone who's being funny deliberately, you know, as opposed to it just being part of the landscape that you took for granted, yeah. you know, there's a tree and there's some grass. Um, some people look at it and it doesn't register it. Others go on to become arborists. <laughs> In your case, when was it that you took note of the comedy in your environment? Uh, that's that's an interesting question. And, you know, I actually really never thought about it. But what I did think about when I was a little kid is I, you know, would watch some comics and I would enjoy uh, comedy, but it wasn't one of my focuses. When I finished graduate school and took my first uh, job, I saw that there was a comedy workshop uh, for comedians. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting to do. And uh, I was in Denver, Colorado. I was in actually outside of Boulder and took this comedy class and just loved it. Now, that was 20 years ago. And so that was my first, like, oh, this might be interesting. Well, you know, um, you also, and I might, uh, I, I could have included this in introduction and we'll get into it a little bit more later on. Uh, you have a PhD and a couple of master's degrees. So, you were immersed in a whole other career direction, and uh, comedy wasn't on the horizon until you took that uh, course. Right. Uh, and then you cultivated that into more than a hobby, um, but less than a full-time career. 
So when was it from the time that you took that comedy course that you got onto the stage? <laughs> and then uh, we'll talk about when it is that you became a producer of comedy. But when? how long did it take? Did part of that... Um, that that course, that seminar, that uh, program uh, uh, on being a comic, yeah, did did yeah. that have you uh, getting up on stage uh, right away? No, it didn't. Um, as a matter of fact, so I'm a true geek. You know, I have a bachelor's and master's degree from MIT in electrical engineering, and then a master's and a PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon. So I'm I am truly a geek. But after when I took my uh, first job, I was like, oh. You know, there are these workshops that you could do, so I'm a, a perpetual learner. So I took this comedy workshop, really enjoyed it, but it just stayed dormant for about 20 years. So the comedy workshop I took was in 93, to just give you a perspective on it. And so then where it really started to embrace comedy as something more than just a, um, an interest of viewing is about 18 months ago. Uh, I was with uh, Sandra, who we'll talk about a little bit. We were at an improv show, and the and Sandra and I had been talking about, hey, you know, maybe we we could take a comedy class or do something to improve our public speaking. And we got um, uh, this announcement in the in the improv class, like, hey, there's going to be a comedy class for stand up comedy three days from now. So I looked at Sandra and said, we've been talking about this. Let's just go ahead and do it. And she's like, mm, okay. And so three days from then, it was in, I think, um, October of last year, we signed up for the class. And we really liked it. You know, the class was taught by this guy named Joel Byers. He's a local comedian around here, but he's done international comic sets and stuff like that. And we just had a great time in the class. And so about halfway through the class, uh, you know, just really started to think about, hey, this could be something that could be more than just taking a class. And, and how many years was that after that initial uh, class that you took on comedy? 24 years afterwards. Wow, that's a, uh, a long uh, germination uh, period. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, MIT and, and Carnegie Mellon. Going to either of those schools and doing something which is uh, skewed toward the science end of the spectrum uh, would would have most people characterized as a geek. But <laughs> computer science... Uh, at those schools uh, definitely has you skew, skew toward uh, geekdom, we'll call uh, it. Yeah. And, and, and so being a really serious uh, student of, of computer science, um, was there any comedy consciousness in that 24-year <laughs> four, four period? I mean, were, or what, did it manifest itself only in taking in the occasional comic um, program on TV and maybe a live performance now and then? Did it even manifest itself that way? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I love fun. I love entertainment. I love to actually go out and, you know, see new things. So I would go to an occasional comedy show or I'd go to an improv show or I would even watch it on TV. And it was it was fun. It was I understood some of it from that first class, and you know a little bit of behind the scenes. But it was more entertaining. And 
I should also say that not only am I a geek, but I'm also an entrepreneur. So as an entrepreneur, combined with a love of learning and combined with, you know, then deciding, hey, you know, this might be something I would be interested in, um, you know, that it all came together. Yeah, it would seem that uh, that uh, three-day-later uh, session on comedy was the perfect opportunity. And, you know, we might as well talk a little bit about it. You have a partner in crime in Sandra Breggs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she couldn't be with us today. Um, but tell us about um, Sandra, and what, uh, Sandra and what role she plays. Sure. So Sandra is a, a co-host with me for our show. Um, and our show is in Hudson Grill. That's a, a place that we we have formed a partnership with them. So the first Tuesday of every month, we go there and do the show. And so Sandra and I collaborate together with creating the show, bringing the comedians in. It's it's not just us. We have other comedians that we bring in <laughs> to do the show, which is really great. And we have set up this venue that is, I think, different than other shows because it's it's in a very good place. The food is delicious. You can come. You can eat. You can drink. And we try and, and mix it up a little bit because it's about entertainment. The comedy is there. It's strong. People are laughing. People are enjoying themselves. But we also have fun. You know, we do drawings. We do other things. So it's it's a great time. It's it's like you're the in-house band combined with a guest band. Yeah. Uh, whenever you have a program in a, in, a, in a food venue, which is you know standard for music, yep. but a little less uh, the standard for comedy. Yep. That that's a good analogy. And then and so Sandra is actually in HR. She's an HR specialist. <coughs> and you know, combining her talents with you know HR and my talents with you know computer science and, and technology, uh, it was a great great fit. And so Sandra does a great job of. She has a lot of friends that she's reached out to that have come to the show, and then now we're starting to get other people uh, coming to the show, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, you yeah. probably have a great uh, database uh, that you use uh, of both comics and um, prospective uh, uh, audience members. Was it your experience as a comic that led you to uh, the exposure to other comedians that uh, some of whom became uh, your um, the talent that you helped uh, produce? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because the comic scene in Atlanta is amazing. Um, you know, you have the New Yorks, you have the L.A.s, but Atlanta is, and you have the Chicago's, but Atlanta is one of those comic scenes. So, for example, every night or every day you can go to an open mic and actually get training in being a comic. What, what open mics are are opportunities for comics to try new material and to grow their, their comedic uh, capacity. And so open mics are very important to support a comedy environment. And so here in Atlanta, you have a number of open mic locations where a comic, either a new comic or an older comic, can go, you know, get five minutes in front of people, try out new material, see what makes them laugh, see what makes them cry, see what makes them do whatever emotion they're trying to create. And then also there's a lot of comic shows around. So it, it is a great environment for that. And that is one of the, the, the things that allows us to get to see other comics, get to see their material before they come on our show. Because 
by the way, we do a clean show. I mean, everybody has their own kind of take on what they want to represent and how they want to do comedy. And so Sandra and my take is that we want to do clean comedy. We want comedy that, you know, my my mom can come to and not go, oh, my God. Right. It's a family. You know, there's um, some familiness to the grill, uh, the Hudson Grill. And so, yeah, yeah, you want to make it acceptable to that kind of a a broad uh, age range audience. Um, do do you have a name for that? Is it the Hudson Comedy Grill uh, uh, show, or uh, does it does it have a, yes. a name? Uh, so we call the show "Get Your Laugh On," and it's uh, a name that we're um, uh, putting out there, um, and we're we are looking to really entice people to come and and it's about having fun, getting your laugh on. The, the nice the, the show that we're doing now is July the 3rd, so there's no work afterwards, so you can come have a few drinks and that type of thing. And it's all about just getting engaged and, and, and having a good time. So that's why we call it Get, get Your Laugh On. The um, the comedy scene in Atlanta that you mentioned with open mics, uh, do you have open mic nights? We don't do open mic nights. Um, and part of the reason is... In when you're looking at the business of comedy, and this is uh, one of the things that we, we, we looked and talked about, we don't want to dilute our show with open mics. So what we want to do is we want to have our show be the thing that people come to at Hudson Grill. And then there are enough open mics around all over the place. Like Relapse does an open mic. Uh, Urban Grill, uh, Urban Grind does an open mic. And there are just a number of other open mics. And if anybody's interested in where open mics are, they can always send me an email and I can let them give them the list. Well, uh, keeping it a very um, almost professional... Uh, uh, set uh, is probably uh, something that uh, ensures that there's going to be some laughs. We're going to be taking a break, but we're here with Robert Joseph the of RLJ Productions. We've been talking about comedy, being a comic, producing comedy, and we'll be back with Robert right after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Robert Joseph, comedian, producer of comedy, along with his partner Sandra Beggs, um, and also author 
of uh, the book uh, entitled uh, Robert, uh, help me out here. Uh, Finding your funny. That's right. Uh, uh, I have a copy right here, uh, and um, we'll get into the book in a little bit because I can tell you at a glance the book has very specific tips for uh, beginning your path uh, for for the path to comedy and. Um, things to refine your approach to comedy if you're already an established comedian um but also we were talking about the fact that robert has a background in technology um that very much defines um him and in fact you say that uh, there's somewhat of a technology focus to your comedy tell us about that sure yeah it's so funny you know i like i said earlier i am a geek and i can't get away from that and one of the things about comedy is that you want to go with your strengths and talk about the things that are in your life so in my routine i talk about school i talk about some of the things i did at school uh i talk about uh my life as um you know, a, a, a divorcee, you know, so it, it really is about uh, just kind of getting in touch with, with who you are, some of the funny things that have happened to you, and, and sharing that with, with people. Kind of so. like binary humor or uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 programming humor or uh, um, you, you mentioned that much of what you do is this very critical part of business, which is uh, database uh, uh, technology related to supply chain. Mm -hmm. uh, have you worked that in yet? I have not worked. I, I uh, data scientists um, working in supply chain uh, from uh, end to end, looking at everything from raw materials being ordered to all the way getting finished goods to our customers, and uh, have not worked that in. I can yet. see it percolating now. It's yeah, a, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. on your face. Um, uh, I should bring you along with me to get uh, get inspired. Well, with ideas. <laughs> what is it that you look for? Um, what what do you and Sandra look for uh, in comedians, um, and and well, where do you find them, and and how do you engage them? So uh, uh, you know that's a, a good question because the open mics are a great place to look for comedians, and we, we look for comedians that are funny, <laughs> comedians that have a different perspective on life, and that's what what makes comedians funny is when you look at something that you see every day in and every day out, and then they add that little twist to it, like oh, I never thought about it that way. We also look for clean comedians, so comedians that are not, you know, up there just cursing or up there talking about other subject matters that are are fine to talk about, and that, I think there are opportunities for that, and I don't, I don't, I don't hold anything against that. That's just not what we're looking for in our shows and our in in how we want to portray comedy. Um, we have a venue that you 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 do understand, and you you said it very clearly. It's a family oriented venue, and we want to have family oriented comedy. Now that doesn't mean that it's not adult comedy because you have to be twenty one to get into it because there's alcohol being served, and we do talk about subject matters that are adult subject matters, but we try to do it in a respectful way. And so the things that we look for are comics that are funny, comics that have a clean set, and comics that are, you know, professional. So 
all of our comics, you know, show up on time. They get there. They do the set. We pay them. You know, it's a, it's a very business-oriented environment that we create, even though it's a fun and lighthearted and, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, right brain, left brain. Well, do you have a mix? Uh, are there an occasional veteran comedian um, uh, worked into uh, a schedule of uh, – what what might be characterized as fresh talent, and I would imagine oh, yeah. just focusing on fresh talent alone for people <clears throat> who like uh, taking in a comedy show. Uh, they too, we too, are looking for uh, fresh um, perspectives on comedy. So that alone. But do you include an occasional veteran comedian? We do. We have comedians that have been on a Last Comic Standing. Uh, Hank Denson is a comedian that, that comes and, and does stuff. Louis Ramey is another comedian. Eric Hunter. Some of these comedians have been writing for different shows. Some of the comedians have been uh, international. Um, Joel Byers did a show in China. You know, so we try and uh, get comedians that are n- not only funny but have some chops uh, and some experience underneath them. We we definitely get that, especially for the headliners. The and the headliners do about a half an hour. Then we have the feature that does ten minutes, and that's somebody that has done a lot of comedy around the region. You know, they've gone to Charlotte and done a show, or gone to Birmingham and done a show, and that type of thing. And so we get those comics to come in. And then that five minute slot is generally for the newer comics, some of the comics that we've seen in open mics that have been doing the local area, that have a good five strong five minutes that are. Hilarious, and we bring them in and give them opportunity to, to shine. You, um, it must must give you a certain amount of pleasure to help a young comedian uh, get their career off the ground. Um, and um, so, in, the, in that sense, you're nurturing uh, their careers. Uh, and you just said that they might have five minutes. Newcomers to comedy probably aren't. Or don't have as much material. They're probably uh, haven't honed their skills so they have a, a half hour set or even twenty minutes. So it, it, would it be true to say that the ones who only have five minutes are really sort of a neophyte when it comes to get, to putting together a show? Well, uh, to develop, set. yeah, to develop five minutes takes a lot of work. You've got to do a lot of open mics. You've got to do a lot of training. You've got to do a lot of of, of hard work behind the scenes in order to get that five minutes. And the really nice or interesting thing about comics is that a really good comic makes it look easy, makes it look like it's off the cuff. But you don't really understand how much work goes into that. So you see people that will do an hour special on Netflix. Well, those people, there's a reason why you don't see a Netflix special like the next week. Those people have spent years building up that routine just to do that hour. So it that five minutes, although it's for the the newer comics that have you know five minutes of material that they've developed, but these aren't comics that are just off the street. These are comics that have been doing it for a while, that have developed their talent, and that can actually go and move an audience to laughter and move an audience to really uh, enjoying themselves. So when uh, you were a child. Um 
did you think consciously about what it was uh, that made you laugh? And uh, was it comedy which... You know, we all have some susceptibility to what what, what you might characterize as just silly comedy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and yet there's some of us that like uh, thought-provoking comedy. You know, the one that you don't laugh at because you have to give it a little bit of thought. And you, you see lots of comedians uh, leveraging that by throwing things out that they know it's going to take you a while uh, to uh, digest. And then when it registers a few uh, seconds later, they'll point out. Uh, yeah. uh, so as a child, did you uh, think in terms of, uh, oh, that guy m- or woman made me think about that? That's an interesting question. And I, as a child, I don't think I was that deep in thinking about comedy. But I do remember as a child, I used to love Abbott and Costello. That's probably dating me some. But their routine on who's on first, what's on second, I, it still brings laughter to me. And yeah. Yeah, I evoke that uh, um, that routine every now and then in life. Um, when you g- get into that situation where it's appropriate because yeah. someone is misunderstanding a reference, and you're thinking immediately, "Who's on first? What's on second? <laughs> and uh, enough that I, when I would bring it up, if whoever I was talking to wasn't familiar, and most people are with that routine, I. Um, I just uh, pulled it off of the uh, internet, the whole yeah. routine, and it's really long. It is, and uh, <laughs> and and you could take portions of it that would be funny. It it it's it's better if you have the setup in the beginning. Who's on first? Yeah, uh, and yet uh, I have used that, uh, and I have uh, passed it on uh, to um, friends and acquaintances because it's a brilliant routine. I I wonder what went into the writing of that. They must have had a lot of fun with it. Oh, they must have had a lot of fun with that, and and you know, and they do it so seamlessly. I mean, it, it's it's amazing to watch. And although it's long, it just it you know you get mesmerized by it, and all of a sudden the time, and you're like, hey, ten fifteen minutes have gone by, and it went by, you know, just like that. So yeah. And and they uh, when you you mentioned seamlessly, it's that part of a uh, a, a comedy routine. And some comedians are better actors than others. Those yeah. two were great actors, yes. uh, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and so uh, you, as a comedian, must cross over. Uh, is there a a process that you go through? Do you psych yourself up when you're about to uh, get on stage, uh, and you're uh, you're not telling yourself the show must go on, but you know the show must go on? Yeah. Do you make a uh, transition into uh, from uh, Doctor Robert Joseph, <laughs> uh, um, uh, computer science geek? Uh, well, uh, yeah. to comedian uh, Robert Joseph. Oh yeah, yeah. There is definitely a switch when you're a comedian. You are in the moment. You're in the now. You're watching the audience. You're playing with the audience. You're listening to what they're saying. You're engaging them. It is totally immersion. So there is definitely a switch from more of the cerebral, like, okay, how do I solve this problem or how do I program this, to, okay, guys, let's have some fun. <laughs> well, also, um, you um, 
I, I think uh, the the mark of many good comedians, not all, because some of them don't play the, to the audience and have that spontaneity, but some uh, can play off that audience, uh, sort of riding on that energy yeah. and uh, almost being creative on stage. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to take another break. We're here with Robert Joseph, comedian, producer of comedy, uh, technology guru might be appropriate because he does have a PhD from MIT and Carnegie uh, Mellon. Sorry. Oh, a Carnegie Mellon, yeah. but yeah, with exactly. an undergraduate at yeah. MIT. Yeah. Yep. Uh, either direction uh, <laughs> would qualify you as a as a geek, uh, and I think a lot of listeners find it fascinating how you get from an area like that to comedy. We'll be back to talk more with Robert Joseph about all of that right after this break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center... We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use the -the state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Robert Joseph, comedian, uh, producer of comedy, along with his partner, Sandra Braggs. Um... In that sense, he's uh, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, an empresario uh, uh, of comedy, and um, with a background in technology, database technology. Uh, and uh, 
we've talked about um, bringing in some of your background into your routine and making uh, the transition from uh, computer geek, a uh, grown-up professional computer geek, to comedian. Um, let's let's drill down a little bit. And uh, so you're walking on stage, and 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 have you prepare, prepared some material oh, uh, yeah. a, a, a re- related to that? Um, and and that helps you be a little more confident. Confident because you've prepared. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the just I, I forgot to mention the website. It's rljproductions.com If you want to know more about it, and you can go there, uh, and you can get tickets for the July third show there too. Um, but in terms of comedy, everybody out there is prepared. You know, when you see a comic on the the stage and they look like they're doing off the cuff, they have honed that skill. They've prepared. Even when they're talking to the audience, sometimes they they have prepared. Because when you ask an audience, say, what do you do? Or or, um, how was your day? Or stuff like that. They've asked that question time and time again at open mics and at other things that are not as critical as a TV show and, and stuff like that. And they have a number of responses that they know how to respond to. Because there's only a set number of ways in which people can respond. Every now and then, somebody might respond differently, but they have already prone for, okay, I can say this or I can say that. But every comedian out there, if it looks like it's off the cuff, they have practiced and honed that, and I'm no different. When I go on to do a set, I have done open mics, I have tried stuff out. Some of the stuff I tried at open mics work, some of the stuff I tried at open mics lands flat. And so you keep either trying to tweak that and hone that at an open mic, or you say, you know, let me put that joke away and come back to it some other time with a fresh perspective on it or a new new take on it. Have you found that uh, sometimes the exact same joke, delivered the exact same way with a different audience, worked better than it did the first time? Oh, yeah. That's that's the life of a, of a comic. You know, you could go out one night, do the exact same material that you did the night before that killed and now it's like falling flat and that's where the art comes in because the art of comedy is also listening to the audience responding to the audience working with the audience and it's really a conversation you're leading a conversation with the audience for them to have fun and to bring them into your world you, you mentioned that it might sound uh, uh, spontaneous, but that there's a likelihood that it was uh, sort of scripted. Does that um, is that true in the case of hecklers? Uh, do you oh, have yeah. half a dozen responses or more prepared, and uh, so that it can be very uh, spontaneous or appear very spontaneous when you respond? Well, you know, generally with hecklers, I ignore them because. If they are, are heckling you, they're probably trying to get attention or they're probably trying to do something. And if you ignore them, then it might go away. What you don't want to do with a heckler is you don't want to have them be the center of attention. And you don't want to have the audience turn against you. Because depending on how you handle a heckler can either turn the audience you know, for you or against you. So it is a fine line. Luckily, at our shows, we don't have many hecklers um, because people are there to, to have fun. And that, that's a great uh, lesson uh, in general for a lot of different uh, scenarios. Uh, school teachers take note 
um, because I bet they uh, encounter hecklers and sometimes engage them and sometimes uh, don't. But uh, I would think that uh, your approach to ignoring them is probably better than giving them a, a stage, unless they're really funny. Uh, <laughs> and and you were not one of those students. You, I mean, occasionally you will hear comedians, uh, men and women, say, "Yeah, I was the class clown. Yeah, I got up at home and I entertained the relatives. Right. And when I got that laughter, uh, the seeds were planted because I wanted more of that." But you were probably not that guy in the classroom. No, I wasn't that guy. I was the guy that, um, well. One of the things is I was a guy that would talk to my friends, but since I was a good student, the teachers would never say anything to me, and sometimes my friends would get in trouble. It, I mean, but they were talking, too, so it wasn't just me. But. Uh, oh, it was kind of humorous uh, remarks, uh, 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 you know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I can relate to that. I think uh, I was spoken at uh, fun at uh, teachers, and, and, and I have to admit, a few professors, uh, and it was generally... Um, uh, subdued, but not always. I think uh, one uh, professor heard me say something about uh, it was a uh, cognitive psychology class, oh. and we were reviewing the data, and it was really, really <laughs> um, uh, detailed data, and we were talking about reams of data and uh, research methodologies, and I think I said something like, uh, wow, a lot of co- cognitive psychologists are repressed physicists. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that got a, 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 a laugh. It didn't get that big of a laugh in the classroom, but but it got a lot of smiles from the the couple guys that were uh, uh, my buddies and my uh, my intended audience. Um, and that may mean that, in some sense, I am a repressed uh, comedian. You never know. Everybody has a little comic in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what about um, let's let's turn to the book because. Ah. Um, you know, finding your funny. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't think that you can have a methodology for um, being a comedian, but in fact, the book is laden with very specific from from free writing to word association. You actually even have Venn diagrams uh, that show you how to merge uh, subject matter uh, into uh, a a focus of comedy, Uh, mind map, consolidating your thoughts. You know, consolidating your thoughts, certainly. I, I would suggest that everyone pick up a copy of this and see if you can extract something that helps you in whatever you do. Because consolidating your thoughts, for example... I mean, that's something we can all be better at. Oh, yes. Um, you have the five W's, you know, which are the uh, who, what, when, where, and why, which applies to journalism. But tell us about how it applies to comedy. Sure. So one of the, the, the things about comedy is that you want to be very succinct. If a joke goes on and on and on and on, people lose interest, people lose focus. So you want to have as few words to getting to the punchline as possible. And so part of the kinds of methodologies that we talk about in our book are aimed at that. They're aimed at, one, just figuring out what kinds of material would be good for jokes, then going and figuring out, okay, now how do I tell that as a joke? Then figuring out, okay, now how do I condense that down? And then lastly, figuring out how do I present it? 
so that who, what, why, where, and how, that is about taking a joke apart and understanding, okay, who is this joke about? What's this joke saying? Where is this joke taking place? And when you start to take the joke apart, then you might have other punchlines that go with that. So instead of this joke happening in the living room, what if it happened in the bathroom? Or instead of this being about my sister, what if it was about my mom? So what you're doing with a joke is trying to explore that joke in a lot of different realms. I do have to say, and I think it's probably the rare comedian who goes off and who is a good storyteller. So they're talking about some incidents, whether real or fictional, uh, in their life and telling it in great detail. And you can feel a little bit of the anxiety in an audience wondering where that comedian <laughs> is going. Oh, yeah. But <clears throat> there is a payoff when they get to the punchline for that really protracted story that they just told. Yeah. And it's well-crafted. Yes. Those stories, although they might seem like they're off the cuff, they are very well-crafted. They're crafted to build that tension up, to build that mystery up, and then... Bam! Hit him with the punchline. It's it's kind of like uh, uh, you're you're not really laughing out loud. You're just kind of well, that's kind of weird. Uh, well, that's kind of weird, and well, that's kind of weird. And then finally, you get to the punchline, and then aggregate, the whole thing is weird and funny, <laughs> and it makes sense. It's like oh, this isn't making. Sense. Oh, now I understand. It's yeah, that's great. Now, you have um, a chapter on refining your funny, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it, you know, that would uh, play to some of the uh, other aspects like who, what, when, where, why, and conduce, uh, uh, condensing your thoughts. But tell us a little bit about uh, refining your funny. Absolutely. So there are multiple ways of telling a joke. And part of the work at an open mic is to find that sweet spot where you tell the joke in a way that has the audience surprised by it and has the audience in, in, engaged in it and, and really you know, laughing about it. And so that refinement of a joke is where a lot of the work takes place. So sometimes just by changing one word in a joke, can make the difference whether it's a small laugh or a big laugh. Sometimes just changing uh, and adding a gesture to the joke can make that difference too. So when we talk about refining your funny, we're talking about, okay, you've got a joke and it's working, you know, it's got, getting some laughs, but how do you punch that joke up? How do you make that joke that much better? How do you tell it in a way that captures people's attention even faster and and more effectively it's it's uh encouraging um, um uh, a comedian a comic to uh break down their uh routine and look at it and you know dissect it in fact one of the things uh you suggest is to record either audio or video ah, uh, yeah. a routine and uh, would that be for purposes primarily of critiquing one's own performance absolutely i every show that i've done i've recorded and i go back and listen to it and i listen to where the laughs are what jokes work what jokes don't work how much of a laugh it is so when you start to do that and you start to look at several open mics that you've done where you've told the same joke with different audience and you can see where that laugh is then you know back to your original your question a little while ago you start to develop some confidence in that joke saying okay i know that joke will hit 
I know where to put the emphasis. I know how to get the audience engaged in it. So, yeah. We're going to pick up on that uh, right after this break because I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, that sort of rhythm and timing of, uh, of joke-telling. We're here with Robert Joseph. We've been talking about comedy. We've been talking about producing comedy. And we'll talk more about it with him right after this break. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, Peace Street ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. Today's business at hand is the business of comedy, of producing comedy, of being a comic, of what it takes to uh, go on stage and be prepared to be funny. And right before the break, um, Robert Joseph, who uh, has been sharing insight uh, into that process as a producer of comedy, uh, recognizing comic talent, and as a comedian himself, he has written a book uh, along with Joel Byers. And the book entitled Finding Your Funny has some real gems uh, and uh, nuggets of uh, wisdom, if you will, about comedy. And we were talking about delivery and, and timing and getting the big laugh, and I was wondering whether or not, you know, a lot of times getting, you, you, you it's like hitting a home run. You can't just <laughs> always try to hit a home run because even though some of the greatest home run hitters are some of the greatest strikeouts, if you're not going to be a home run hitter, you better rein it in and settle for a little laugh here and a little laugh there, a little laugh there, and then uh, the home run can come uh, once you've sort of orchestrated uh, the little laughs toward the big laughs. Is that something yeah. you're conscious of? Oh, absolutely. Every comic that, that goes up is, is conscious of pacing, is conscious of creating that, that, that dance. You're actually dancing with the audience. So you want to create 
you know, uh, a rhythm because if somebody's just laughing all the time, all the time, all the time, that could be exhausting. So you want to give people a chance to at least breathe and to really say, okay, yeah, that was good. Huh? And then, you know, start back up again. So there is definitely a rhythm to to the joke telling. It's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld, who's who's talking about some really nonsensical, nonsensical uh, dimensions of everyday life, and they don't all make you laugh. His observation on those little nuances, it's sort of like you think, well, that's kind of interesting, that's interesting, oh, it's kind of weird, and <laughs> that's uh, even more weird, and then he brings it all together yeah. and you get a big laugh. Um, you point out in the book that uh, some of your jokes are only funny to you, <laughs> and, and what a what a what an understatement! Uh, it's it's like I crack myself up. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first time I think I heard someone deliver that line, I crack myself up. <laughs> yep. I thought, well, that's me. Yeah. Uh, I I find myself just. Uh, sometimes laughing out loud or, or you know, chuckling. Yep. Uh, and I know no one else is going to really find that funny. But I don't know. So in some sense, it's risk-taking. Absolutely. When, yeah. when you've said something that you think others will find funny and they don't, or when you don't think others will find it funny and they do. Yeah, yeah. Great point. And, you know, speaking of Jerry Seinfeld, you know, I've watched a number of, Interviews with him on a number of things that he, when he's talked about his uh, sort of comic writing techniques, and he will spend years and years on honing a joke and changing this word or trying this new word or things like that. So open mics are the times in which you get to try those jokes out and you get to see if people think that if you think that the jokes that you're writing are jokes that people will laugh at. And the jokes that you say, oh, those are funny to me but not to them, you can put those away and work on those you know, a little bit later. If they're jokes that really hit, then you're like, oh, yeah, that works, and then you can go and hone that. One of the other things I wanted to say about that, too, is that I think every comedian has jokes that they're like, oh, yeah, this joke is going to kill, this joke is going to kill, and you go up and the joke is dead. Well, part of being a comedian, too, is not just telling a joke, but selling the joke. And so one of the hardest things in being a comedian is staying in that moment, staying in that funniness, even if the audience doesn't think that you're funny. Because if you stay there, then you will bring the audience to you. And that's it's such an amazing thing because the audience starts to say, well, that joke wasn't funny, but that guy thinks it's funny or that girl thinks it's funny. So... I must be wrong. It must be funny, and I'm going to laugh at it. Well, probably one or two members of the audience can probably get the rest of the uh, audience sometimes to crack up because they realize that was, in fact, funny. Yeah, Um, it's a community thing. And, you know, I've seen some of those same uh, interviews with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and I have a tremendous amount of respect uh, as a guy who has finally holds his craft and he's talked about you know waiting for years uh to perfect a uh, a story that he's going to tell and um there's an example of a guy that has uh, our job robert it's it's uh, something uh, uh that you uh, might do better but as a guy who has a interview conversation related program 
his uh, having coffee uh, riding in the car with comedians uh, oh, show yeah. is brilliant. It is. It's a brilliant <laughs> concept, and he's doing what I'm sure you and I both would love to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only because he's in those cars that are really kind of cool and sometimes suited to the comedian, yeah. um, but just the notion of having that kind of a conversation driving down the road with a uh, Letterman or a uh, Chris Rocker, whoever it is. I know. It's amazing. He gets his meals paid for. He gets to ride in great cars. He gets to do some really cool stuff. And he gets to talk to famous people. I mean, it's just like, you know, who wouldn't want that? <laughs> well, and the fact that it's a podcast uh, uh, gives me um, uh, pleasure uh, knowing that, uh, that there's... Uh, uh, podcast audiences out there uh, for everyone, um, much That's like awesome. this show. Yeah. Um, let's 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 drill down a little further because um, I, for one, think that um, the first time that I saw, and I think it was in the Reader's Digest uh, magazine, they had a uh, um, a uh, section entitled "Humor is the Best Medicine," yeah. and I believe that uh, it may not be the quote unquote best medicine. I mean, sometimes medicine's the best yeah, medicine. Penicillin yeah, also works penicillin pretty also good. Works. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you can use that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the world needs more levity, more laughter, more humor, even in the face of sometimes seemingly serious as a heart attack topics and situations uh maybe not in the midst of that situation um but but soon thereafter um and uh and consequently i think when you're up there it must be uh an almost catharsis like uh, situation for some comedians to get up and be burying their souls because they're sharing these private perspectives sometimes and making them public. Is that would that be a fair statement? I, I think that's a very fair statement from uh, some of the comedians that I've seen that really talk about issues that they're either dealing with right now or issues that they've dealt with in the past, and I've seen them, you know, show a lot of emotion behind that. Uh, and then also turn that around and show the lighter side of things, too. So I think that a lot of comedians are really reaching deep inside of them and pulling stuff out so that they are relatable with the audience. But they're also helping, you know, helping other people that have gone through similar situations or are going through similar situations to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel and to also give a, a slightly different perspective on, 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 on helping them deal with it. So, yes. And lightheartedness at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what about... Um, um, subjecting yourself to um, sometimes uh, the critical nature of an audience, <laughs> I, I would think that, you know, particularly getting up with a routine oh, yeah. that you think is going to be funny, it's not very well received. I, I would think it takes thick skin. Oh, yes, it does. I mean, every time you get in front of an audience, you're putting yourself up for criticism. Uh, people just can't help it. You're, You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. So, uh, Thank you for listening. One of the things I wanted to say, too, before the show ends is that I actually have a gift for your audience. Okay. 
Yeah. So the the next show is the July third show. There's no Join work afterwards, so you know July fourth. So you can come out, have a drink, have some food, have some fun. And for the people that are listening to the radio show, if you go to rljproductions.com and buy your tickets ahead of time, you'll get a ten percent discount by putting in the coupon radio. So you put in the coupon radio, you get 10% off the ticket. The tickets are more expensive at the door. So just go online, get your tickets, get your tickets at a discount, and come out and have some fun. There's a uh, related technology to comedy right there, um, <laughs> uh, utilizing the uh, the online uh, ticket buying and putting in a code. Uh I know that uh, sometimes when I'm trying to be creative either in a writing format or in some other form, uh, it, it can come in a dream. It can come yeah. uh, while I'm uh, awake in the middle of the night. It could come while I'm driving down the road. It could come while I'm listening to music. It could come right while I'm sitting here talking to someone. It can come while I'm jogging, swimming, in the shower. There's oftentimes no rhyme or reason. Uh, I, I can sit down. And when I'm in the process of writing, uh, occasionally be creative, but not always. Uh, what about you? Uh, Same thing. So penicillin, that's going to make it into the <laughs> I'll say Ron says. <laughs> no, no. We said, uh, I just set you up with humor being the best medicine, and uh, you said sometimes penicillin works too. <laughs> Well, um, we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank you, uh, Robert, for you, being Ron. my guest today. Um, it's been uh, enlightening, and it's been funny. And uh, you two can enjoy uh, the show uh, at the Hudson Grill in Sandy Springs this Tuesday, July 3rd, with Eric Hunter as the headliner, Andrew Stein as the feature act, and opening the show, you'll get a chance to get your laugh on with today's guest, Robert Joseph. You've been listening to The Business Hour. We're here on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. Have a great 4th of July. We'll see you on the radio and the Internet next Friday. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? 
Is your nose always stuffy, no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.cookimmigration.com.